Uh, for those of you watching at home, welcome. Glad you're here with us as we start our new series. That's what we're doing today. We're going to be jumping in the book of Hebrews. And it's really good to be here in person and be here with you guys once again. Uh, we were just chatting. I was just chatting with Gilbert Martinez here a, a little while ago. And it's, I've been gone for two Sundays. And, and any time that I'm gone from Laredo, the thing I miss most is this church body and our church family. And so it's good to be back. It's good to be at home. And it's good to to begin a new series in the book of Hebrews. And so for those of you um, who are at home and for those of you who are here, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author, okay? And uh, the book of Hebrews uh, is more than likely written and set in uh, the dates of 60 AD to 70 AD. Uh, the big picture thoughts that we're going to be talking through as we're studying the book of Hebrews is we're going to be talking about, one, the supremacy of Christ. And today, we are really going to try to flesh that out for our lives and what the author was fleshing out for his audience. Uh, the other things that we see is we begin to see um, the difference between the new covenant and the old, uh, that it's better in Christ Jesus than it was in the Mosaic law. Uh, and we'll see what our response should be to Christ because of this. Uh, one author, uh, as he's talking about the, he uh, the book of Hebrews, he writes this. He says that uh, at one level, Hebrews continues to function as a warning about the consequences of withdrawing from Christian fellowship and disowning Jesus and abandoning the hope in him. So on one hand, we will see like this, 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 greater, uh, this greater warning to not abandon the fellowship of the saints. Uh, and and it, that, that's being challenged a little bit right now, I think, through our season of COVID. But as believers, we have to remember that we're called to gather uh, as saints and, and, and called to gather uh, in, in, in worship, called to gather to learn, called to gather to serve one another. And so that's, that's one of the warnings that, that, that is given through the book of Hebrews. But he also says on the positive side... On the positive side, it functions as an encouragement, uh, encouragement to endure in faith, hope, and love whatever the struggles and difficulties we may face. Does that sound like a timely message that we need to hear right now? Yeah, I think so many of us are facing so many difficulties, so many issues, so many circumstances that we couldn't even dream of. We never expected to be where we are today. But the author of Hebrews, uh, or, or this author says that the book of Hebrews tells us that we can face these times with faith, hope, and love no matter what the struggle and difficulties are. So if you're sitting here today or you're watching at home, I want you to know that no matter what it is, no matter what it is, Jesus is greater, right? No matter what's going on around you, Jesus is greater. And we'll see that as we're going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, he continues to say that the writer seeks to promote such perseverance by fixing the gaze of his readers upon Jesus. He is the ultimate revelation of God and his purpose um, and his purposes and the one who alone can bring us to share in the heavenly rule. Okay. So that's what we're going to be studying. Uh, a lot of people will say, that the book of Hebrews is, is, is maybe one of the most, if not the most difficult book in the New Testament to read and, and understand. So we're going to do our best throughout the semester to take this uh, chapter by chapter, line by line, and hopefully be able to walk away with the understanding of what this author meant to communicate through this rich book and this, this rich book of theology and doctrine and, and coming to understand who Christ is, coming to understand what Jesus did for us, uh, coming to, to know that the fellowship of the saints is important, that we shouldn't abandon it, coming to know that we can live in faith, love, and hope no matter what circumstances we're going through. 
So if that sounds like something you want to uh, want to jump in with us, and that's something you want to follow along with us today. I, I ask that you go ahead and get your Bibles, and let's start reading in the, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And uh, the way this book starts, is it almost seems like uh, it was written by the writers of, of Star Wars long ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, no, not, not, I'm kidding. It just simply says long ago, okay? At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Hmm. So immediately, right off the bat, right off the bat immediately, the author wants us to see who Jesus is. And he wants his audience, these, these people he's writing to, he wanted them to see that, that this Jesus we believe in, that they've put their trust in, is greater than even the angelic host or even greater than the angels. And, and there was this, this ongoing thought in, in what they call angelology of, of, of the study of angels, right? Just the study of angels. Uh, in, in Jewish tradition, they believed that angels were the mediators between man and God. If you work through the Old Testament, you see that the angel came and gave a message. The angel came, gave a message. The angel came, gave a message, right? The angels have a specific purpose. They have a specific purpose. But here, the author is coming in to say, this Jesus you've put your trust in, this Jesus that I'm writing to you about, this Jesus you've heard about is greater than any angel, greater than all the angels. And here's why. We're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see is, is who is Jesus and his character. Second thing that we're going to see is we're going to take a look at Jesus and his work. And the third thing that we're going to see is our response to this person, Jesus, and his work. And so my very first point for you today is this, is because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I can trust his revelation of God. Because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I can trust his revelation of God. Notice how the author begins this book. He begins this book by communicating that many years ago, and a long time ago, long ago, uh, God spoke through his prophets. And the, and, and the prophets there were people who uh, were, were interpreting the word of God to others. They were, they were communicating to the people what God would say to them. Uh, there were times they were also protectors. They were functioning in the work of God. And so uh, the, the, the prophets were seen as people that God used in order to communicate. As a matter of fact, Amos, in chapter 3 of his book, verse 7, he says this, The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Another person says that the prophet is the interpreter of the God who speaks within. 
He has also referred to the prophets as interpreters of the God who uses them as instruments to reveal to men that which he wills. So long ago, the author is saying God spoke to, through prophets. He says, but in these latter days, but now in these days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus. And he says two important things. He says, who is the reflection of the glory of God, of the radiance of the glory of God. And he says he's his di direct imprint of his character. Okay? So we're saying that we can trust the revelation Christ brings of God the Father because he is a direct reflection of who God is. And so when, when God chooses to reveal himself to humanity fully through Jesus Christ incarnate, come from heaven to earth, we see who the Father is. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So throughout the history of God's relationship with mankind, I mentioned a few weeks back to our Spanish launch team as we're going through Christian Essentials and we're looking at the Trinity, I mentioned to them that, that God's very revelation of himself has always come through the person of Christ, right? In the beginning was a creator. He was, Jesus was the creator. God revealed himself to us through, to creation, through the creation of Jesus Christ. He showed us his power. He showed us how wise he is, how smart he is. He showed us how he can sustain life. He showed us how he can give life. And he showed us that through just speaking his word, things come to exist. And Jesus is the creator of all things. The next thing we see is, as we see here, Jesus is the Logos. He was the Word, always with God, was God. And so as we're going through the Old Testament, as we're reading the Word of God, what we're seeing is the revelation of God to his people through his son Jesus in form of the prophet's writings and the Mosaic law and, and David's writings and Solomon's writings. But people, when Jesus comes from heaven to earth, we get the full, ultimate revelation of who the Father is. And we see that in his life. We see that in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the full revelation. So in a world that causes you or that's in search for a God outside of Christ, I challenge you to not look for this God outside of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the revelation. Even as a Christian, even growing up, I used to think and pray, God, give me more, give me more, give me more. But how much time would I spend reading the Gospels or the Word of God? Not much. There is no revelation of God outside of His Word because His Word is Christ. And there's no revelation of God the Father outside of Jesus Himself. You can't understand who God is if you're not willing to come to know Jesus the Messiah. And once we come to know Jesus, the Messiah, and we come to know the word of God, then it is important for us to put our trust in this revelation. Jesus said to his, his disciple, Philip, he says in, in John chapter 14, says this, it says, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? To see Jesus is to see the Father. 
To understand Jesus is to understand the Father. To see his faithfulness is to see the Father's faithfulness. To see the love of Christ is to see the love of the Father. To see the unity of the Son to the will of the Father is to understand the plans the Father had in order to reveal himself to us through his Son, Jesus. We can't have a revelation of God outside of Scripture, and we can't have a revelation of God outside of Jesus. So if you're a person and you want to know more about this God we serve, or you haven't put your trust in Christ, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or a believer, but you're looking for a God. Let me tell you a secret. You can't find him without Jesus Christ himself and his word. Once you come to this and once you come to him, then we have understanding of who the Father is. But without it, we're lost. Don't believe philosophies that tell you you can find a God outside of Jesus because those gods, think about it, are always distant and far away. And what's the first rule? You have to be good enough to get to him. Every philosophy knows that is impossible. You're always going to be in search of something you can't find because it doesn't exist. Christianity is the only one that says that the very God who we seek and look for is the very God who came from heaven to earth to die for our sins and make it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Jesus and his revelation of the Father is the only revelation we need and the only revelation we should trust. We shouldn't seek anything outside of this and outside of him. Read the Gospels, read about his life, read about his words and see what it, what it says. My second point, or my, so my first point, that was my first point. My second point is this, is that because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I can trust in his purifying work for my sins. Because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I can trust in his purifying work for my sins. Jesus, the, the author says that he came and after purifying after purifying our sins, he ascended. He, he went to be with God and sat at his right hand. He went, okay? And so he came to purify our very sins. The, the, the work of Christ, the work of Christ was to come from heaven to earth to reveal to us the Father through which he showed us the love of the Father, the grace of the Father, and the mercy of the Father. While at the same time, and let me pause there, because those three things is what we all love about God, right? We love God, merciful, God, grace, uh, uh, the, the God of grace and the God of love. But understand that in the very same person of Jesus, he also showed us all of his other characters. He showed us that God is a just judge, that God cannot overlook a penalty for a sin. And therefore, he had to place that penalty of sin on his son Jesus on the cross. So when Jesus goes to the cross, even though he was perfect, he dies as a sacrifice for you and for me, right? And, and, and what he's doing, and he's becoming the ultimate sacrifice needed to atone for the sins of mankind because throughout the Old Testament, they had to do this every single year, right? And so every year, the people, the, the, the high priest of Israel would go and he would make an atoning sacrifice of a lamb. And each year that had to be done to purify the sins of, of, or to atone for the sins of Israel. 
But Jesus, as John the Baptist looks at him and says, here's the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world, he becomes that once and for all Lamb on the cross who sacrificed, whose bloodshed, so that your sins and my sins could be forgiven. The, the payment that needed to be paid for us to be justified was paid by Jesus Christ himself. And our job, our only job, is not to be good or think that we can be good enough to get to God. Our only job is to put our trust in Jesus Christ, the purifier and the redeemer of his people. Here's what I mean by trust, right? Because a lot of times people will say, well, is it belief, faith, trust? Well, uh, we believe the best word that represents the idea of, of, of those three words is trust. And here's why. I have a stool here, right? Here's a stool, and I've said this before, but here's an example. This is a stool. This is a chair. This is a seat. This is something for us to sit on. I've had really bad luck with chairs before. Um, I'm, I'm a drummer. Right? Well, I used to be. Not anymore, kind of. Um, but I used to play a lot of drums. And if you've seen me play the drums, I, uh, people say I play hard. I'm not sure why. But people say I play the drums hard. Uh, if you ask someone, can Adrian play the drums, what they're going to tell you is he plays them really hard. That's for sure. Um, and so through this, I've, I've noticed that in the past, and I've paid attention to this because it's been horrible um, when it happens, those chairs that sit underneath me just break. They've broken before, and I'm just like standing in midair playing the drums at the same time. Other times, I've gone out and I sat on plastic chairs and, and patios, and I'll sit down on them, and immediately I'll make a wrong move and snap, pop, and, and I'm on, my butt's on the floor, Right? And so I have had bad experiences with chairs. My challenge is that when I look at a chair, I believe that's a chair because it's in the shape of a chair, right? I have faith that's a chair. The, the, the issue is, do I really trust that the chair is going to hold my weight up? Because I've had bad luck with chairs. And so when, I, when I've come into a room, I've, I've learned to pay attention to chairs. I really do. I, believe me, I do. If, if you invite me to the carne asada and you have plastic chairs in your patio, don't feel bad if I look at them twice. And if I don't sit down, because I've learned to gauge chairs to see, can it hold up my uh, lean 200? People laugh at me because I say that, but I don't know what it is now, 210, 215, I don't know what it is, something like that. But I have to make sure that the chair can hold me up. And once I make sure of that, guess what? I trust that the chair is going to hold up my full weight. That's the gospel. See, there's a lot of people who believe in Jesus there's a lot of people who believe in God. The problem is we're all stuck in trying to work our way into salvation. But the Christian salvation that Jesus brought as a revelation of his, of his father to us is that his work was sufficient. It's sufficient to hold up the entire weight of my sin, no matter how bad that is. And when I put my trust in him, I can sit faithfully trusting that it's going to hold me up and that when the day comes, I will be presented before the Father and Jesus will say, he's one of yours because he's one of mine. He put his trust in me. That's the difference.
a purifying work. And not only that, but the author even, he testifies to, 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 to that it's a once and for all. Here's how he does that. He says that after purifying for sins, he went and he sat at the right hand of the majesty. You know what that communicated to that audience? It communicated that unlike the high priest and the priest who had to remain standing because the work was ongoing, ongoing, and ongoing, after Jesus did what he did on the cross and he resurrected, he went and sat down because it was finished and complete. The audience reading that scripture would have known that and they would have seen that and they would have jumped off the page at them. And it's telling you and me, his salvation is sufficient once and for all. Forgiveness of sins. Because of his work, not because of mine. We can't work our way into salvation. We do have a responsibility after salvation. We do to live in the good works God has called us to. But that's the fruit of his good work, not mine not yours. All we have to do is trust. That's it. Let's keep reading. Let's go to Hebrews chapter one, verse six. It says this, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Here's the thing, right? He's, he's talking about how much greater Jesus is than, than these angels. And he's saying here in this passage that he's quoting from scripture, let all God's angels worship him. So the angels wouldn't be worshiping someone who isn't God. The angels wouldn't be worshiping someone other than God. And so Jesus being God himself, as we read from John 1.1, the angels also will worship him. And so here's my last sermon point for today is this, is that because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I will join the angels in the worship of his name. Because Jesus is the eternal son of God, I will join the angels in the worship of his name. I will join the angels in the worship of his name. Church, after we see that Jesus is the direct revelation of God himself to us, we understand uh, that, that, that he's the radiance, which means that he's, he is and shines. He is the very glory of God. Jesus is the very glory of God that shines for us to see. We know that he is God's direct imprint, which literally means it's, it was a signet ring that was, it's like the idea of the signet ring that was used to stamp and seal a letter back in those days so that when you got the letter, it was still sealed and you knew exactly who it came from. And just like that stamp and seal has the exact imprint of, of, of the family signet, Jesus is also the direct imprint. And so when we look upon him, we see exactly who God the Father is because he is God. He's this eternal son of God. And so because of that, we see even the angels will worship and we're called to worship him as well. Deuteronomy 32, 43 says, rejoice in him. Oh, heavens, everyone in heaven, rejoice in him. Everybody, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes uh, vengeance of his adversaries. This is a passage that's calling everyone to worship him just like the angels are called to worship him and just like our responsibility and our reaction or, and, um, to who Jesus is should be that of worship. That of worship. Church, when we think about this great work, it should bring us to our knees and thank God for the very son he's given us. As we keep reading Hebrews chapter one, he says this, 
he continues to make the difference between Jesus and the angels. And he says of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Talking about the angels. But the son, Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. This is the Christ that we serve. This is the Jesus that we know. The powerful Jesus, the creator, the logos, the, 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 the savior who came, the incarnate savior, uh, Messiah who came to die for the sins of mankind that we would come to know the father in his fullness. This is who we worship. This is who we have as a high priest, and we will learn that throughout this book of Hebrews. But church, the angels aren't that person. It's Jesus. And remember, these people in this Jewish tradition thought so much of the mystic and, 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 and the, 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 the angels that the author here needed to point out the fact that Jesus is greater than any angel. And church, I have to say to you, as we said before, in order to come to know God, we've got to stop looking outside of the realm of Christ. We have got to stop looking outside of scripture and outside of his person to try to understand who God is and realize that we have the full understanding and the full revelation of God the Father himself because Jesus Christ has been revealed to us through his incarnate birth through his perfect life, his willingness to go to the cross and serve in a way that no one else could. As a matter of fact, still talking about the angels, the author says in verse 13 and 14, he says, into which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? None. He's never said that to the angels. Verse 14 are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? If you're a believer, have you inherited salvation? Yes. And these angels are sent out to minister or to serve the believers in Christ and the church. Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father in all of his splendor and glory, but the angels are sent out to minister. His is the greatest position. And even as we talk about the angels being ministers, the angels being messengers, when we take a look at Jesus Christ, he came to be a messenger. And he said himself in the gospels, this is God himself. He says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. One of his last acts was to wash his disciples' feet, showing them what true humility was. No matter where we are in life, no matter how high we are, what we do, we're all meant to serve one another. If Christ, the Son of God, 
the king and creator of this world would get on his knees and wash the very feet of his, of his disciples, he would call us to that same type of servitude to one another. So just like as the angels have been messengers, he too is a messenger. Just like, just like the angels have come to serve, he too has come to serve. He came to serve. But here's what makes Jesus different. Jesus served us in a way that only he could. No angel in heaven could have done what Jesus did. No person on earth could have ever done what Jesus did. And that he came to serve by coming to this world to live the life you and I should have lived so that we could have the life he already had. He came to live the life you and I couldn't live so that we could have the relationship with God he already had. And he came to die the death you and I should have died. That separation from God so that you and I could inherit his kingdom alongside him. Church, what Jesus did, no one else could. That's what makes him greater than all. He's the eternal son of God who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross was what the New Testament says. Our response and our job is to put our trust in him as the revelation of God, to put our trust in him for the purification of our sins, and to worship him alongside with all of creation and the heavenly host and the angels. I love that. That text reminds me of, of who Jesus is. It reminds me of the book of Revelations where all of heaven, including the angels, are, are looking and saying, who's worthy to open the seal? Who's worthy to open the seal? And it's not until Jesus appears that everyone says, holy, 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 he is worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. That is our Savior. That is our Messiah. He is our brother through the faith. And he's came and he came to give us an everlasting inheritance and an everlasting relationship with God the Father himself. He is greater than all. So as we close this sermon, I want to close with an act of worship. So I want to give everyone an opportunity to go ahead and get your communion cups ready. If you haven't done this before, there's a, there's a transparent seal on top. You just take that off so you can get to the bread. And then you pull off the little pink plastic underneath there after we take the bread. For those of you at home, I'll give you a minute here to go ahead and grab your elements. I do apologize. I didn't let you know that we were doing this at the beginning. But if you can grab your elements so you can partake of communion with us. I'll give you a minute to do so. about 30 more seconds.
I think one of the common mistakes we make as Christians is we think that worship is only singing, right? We, 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 we interpret worship as, as an act of song, and that is, it's a part of it. But, but worship is our response to who God is, to who Christ is. Worship is my response to the Word of God. You know, as a father, when you're at home and you're, you're shepherding your kids, that's worship. Mothers, as you, as you work and you also stay home and you're, you're nurturing your kids and your home, that's worship. When you get up and you're patient with others, that's worship. And this moment here, we remember what Jesus Christ did for us with this cup and this bread. It's an act of worship. So I'm going to read out of Corinthians, and Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not withhold yourself from your creation that you are not a far and distant God, but that you are near. And now we have the ability through your son Jesus to be in a relationship with you as, as an adopted son and adopted daughter through faith in Christ. Father, your love for us was shown through him who came to reveal you to us. Father, your very character seen in his life, his death, burial, and his resurrection, and his, in his ascension, and where he sits now at your right hand. We thank you because through this, through this act, through his sacrifice, you call us to be your own. Father, I pray for any person here today or watching at home that hasn't put their trust in your son. I pray that today's message would simply be watering the seed that's already planted in their hearts or that this would be the seed thrown out into their hearts. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to cultivate and work so that their trust would be placed in your son for salvation. And I pray that as we're going through this series as believers and as your church, I pray, oh God, that our hearts would be drawn to yours through the understanding of your son, Jesus, what you have done to, uh, through him and what our response should be for him. Father, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.